Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Title of my message tonight is The Call of the Wild. The Call of the Wild, the alternative uh, title, which would be my, my youth title, uh, is Do You Want to Walk on the Wild Side? Do you want to walk on the wild side? And uh, we're in this, in the midst of a, a theme that we're calling Pursuit, and uh, we're focusing in on it for 1 Jan of Feb, uh, but the, it's the entire year, and it's about pursuing the heart of God, it's pursuing after the things of God. I don't want to be caught up with just the ways of the world, being a Christian that's sort of just so world-occupied that I'm no uh, good here, I'm not influential, but I want to be heavenly-minded. God says that, or Colossians says, it's like, uh, Elevate your things to the heavenly realms where you were seated with Christ. Elevate your mind to the things above. And so in this idea of pursuit, uh, we are just leaning into what, how we pursue, but also maybe some of the, the hindrances. And tonight what I want to talk about is actually spiritual disciplines. And uh, I grew up in and around the church, and spiritual disciplines is something that I've heard a lot about. It's a word, and uh, I just want to squash this right now. It's not spiritual uh, punishment. That's not what this sort of disciplines are. Um, it is not just God punishment. What we're talking about here is habits that, in, that we just understand to be part of our Christian life. As a, as a young man, I, I saw these things as if I do these spiritual habits or these spiritual disciplines, I'm going to have a good relationship with God. And I'll tell you what, that is sort of true, but it's a half-truth. And so what I want to do tonight is I will actually unpack it uh, a little bit with this idea of wilderness idea, and we are going to throw back in time to Deuteronomy 8. Now, pause. The Bible app is wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're ripping out the Bible app and you're reading Deuteronomy 18 verses 1, that's my bad. I sent through the 18, not 8. Um, typos, they happen. And... Uh, there's also an extra quote in there, so you can just read Leviticus 8, oh, not Leviticus, Deuteronomy 18 in your own time and enjoy that. Uh, but we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 8. How about that? And it is Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible, the Nasib, and uh, New Australian? Yeah, you, you can interpret it as you wish. And it says this, All the commandments that I have commanded you today, you shall... Care, uh, shall be careful to do, so that you may live and increase, and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has, has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order that you might understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Let's talk about context. If you're here a month ago, we talked about how to read the Bible. 
and uh, we found out that context is important. And our goal as people in this time, in this period of time, uh, history, is we need to understand what the Bible means to those who was originally written to it. The Bible is written uh, for us, but not necessarily to us. You can go and listen to that. That was a goodie. And, uh, but we need to understand what's going on in this scripture. And so we, we see first verse, we see it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today. This is Moses. Uh, Moses is a leader within Israel's history, and he has just taught people around the commandments of God. But these aren't just any people. These are the children of the people that were brought out of Egypt. That's important because they weren't at Exodus 20 when uh, God first gave the commandments. They actually weren't there when they were taken out of uh, Egypt. These, these are second-generation uh, Israelites who have heard about the things of God, but maybe witness some stuff, but they need to know about it. And so Moses is delivering this, this commandments, this recollection of what God has done and what God is doing in order to teach them uh, how to live. And so they have literally witnessed like Numbers 13 and 14 is all about when they originally get to the, prom, uh, to the River Jordan and they're about to cross it and they say, we can't do it. We can't take the land. They've seen the disobedience of their parents. They've also seen the provision of God. And so it's this very rich context in which Moses is delivering this. But what I want to do real quick is I want to talk about two things, and then we're going to get into the, uh, the meat and veg of it. And so I've got a couple of questions from this scripture is, what is the wilderness and what's the deal with bread? Good questions. I'm gluten intolerant. <laughs> um, so bread is like, mm, I desire bread. <laughs> what is the wilderness? Moses is speaking to these people who have been living in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years they've been living in the desert. Like, we complain when it rains. <laughs> but they've been taken out of a place of slavery and oppression and a danger, and they've been brought into this desert as a sort of a, call it an in-between. They're not quite at the promised land, but they're living in the in-between in the wilderness. And so what the wilderness means to this and what we see in Scripture is that the wilderness is a place of opportunity and possibility. It is a place of wide open spaces. I know, I like going camping. Um, and my favorite thing about camping is camping where there's no reception. Because my job, I, I work in digital marketing and I spend a lot of time connected. I'm so over vibrations and things trying to get my attention. I've tried to turn my smartphone into as dumb a phone I can make it and still do my job probably. Uh, <laughs> I brought a watch that does not vibrate when I get a message or a text message just because I don't want that in my life. There's so much noise going on that when do I go camping, it's just like a, <sighs> as a breath, there's a space. And so the wilderness in this context is, is speaking of there's a space. There is an opportunity to listen. There is a reduction of noise. But I'll tell you what, there's also a reduction of supply. Because, let's face it, bread trees don't grow in the desert. 
There's also no such thing as bread trees, I'm sorry. <laughs> but there's also like very little water in the desert as well. That is a place of seemingly lack as well. There's this tension around possibility and danger. And the wilderness uh, paints this uh, vivid image of actually a, a space for teaching. In fact, I'm going to read a quote from a, a Japanese uh, Christian, and his name is Kosuke Koyama. And I looked it up, so it's the pr uh, correct pronunciation. And it says this, Wilderness, then, is a place where we fa become face-to-face -face with danger and promise. And that is an educational situation for the people of God. He then continues on to an additional quote, when danger and promise come together to us, it is called crisis as humans. The Bible does not speak just of danger. If it did so, the biblical faith would be reduced to a protection from danger religion. Don't touch me, that's dangerous. Preservation. The Bible does not simply speak about promise. If it did so, the biblical faith would just be reduced to a pursuit of happiness, happy ending religion. The Bible speaks about crisis situation as a coexistence of danger and promise, wilderness. And there God teaches man. In the wilderness, we go beyond protection from danger religion and happy ending religion. There we are called to trust in God. In the wilderness, theory is put to the test to see what is experienced. If you've ever heard, been around long enough, it says, I've heard the quote, um, and it's by a guy named, I think, Ronald or something like this. He's a Christian. It's, the man of experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Because that which he understands within his heart, he is not subject to the arguments that may to uh, cause tossing and turning or doubt or trouble. In the wilderness, theory becomes experience. We see this in Job, Job 42 verses 5, it won't be on the screen. And Job at the end of his journey says this, Before I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, after the wilderness, after the testing, after the journey, now I see you. I knew, I, I don't know about you, but I, as I said, I grew up around the church. I could tell you all the biblical stories. I could tell you all the right answers, but there's something that's different between a man that knows the right thing and the man that believes the right thing. And there's this sense that in the wilderness, just feelings aren't enough. The feelings of faith, the feelings of courage aren't enough. It's actually a place of testing where feeling becomes faith and conviction in your life. And so what is the wilderness? It is a place of opportunity where faith is tested and it becomes experience. It actually goes deeper than just a good idea. It becomes the very belief of your heart. What is the deal with bread? Now, the way that bread is used in this scripture is referring generally to food. You'll hear it in Genesis, like uh, when Abraham comes from conquering uh, these people, he's brought the gift of bread and drink. And it's not just everyone really likes bread. It's actually just saying food in general. It's just an imagery thing. And what food is, it's an essential item. You cannot live by bread alone. You need bread still. You need bread still, but bread alone. Anything that is essential to your life alone becomes dangerous to the man. 
You need income. But when your heart is on income alone, that's the danger zone. Because suddenly your heart is drawn away from the provision of God to the pursuit of something that is going to rob you. And actually more than that, it's going to cost you and cost other people around you. And so whether we're talking about clothing, we need clothing, but the obsession around brands and identity and validation through what we wear and recognition alone becomes dangerous to the man. And so bread alone is not good for a person, it's dangerous for them. And again, uh, coming from that same uh, gentleman, Kosuke Koyama, man is supposed to eat bread, but what if bread eats man? Men eating bread. People are dying from overeating today in affluent countries. Man is supposed to live in the house, but what if the house begins to live in the man? I said 40 years very specifically before because there's the weight that God wanted to teach them one lesson for 40 years. 40 years of teaching a patient God of walking with man, a patient God of accepting dysfunction and accepting uh, the, the limitations of man and walking with them and, and, and being with them in the times of discouragement, anger. He walked with them to teach them what? The man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is calling them in the wilderness and in the, the, the idea of forsaking bread to call them into a place of trust and dependency on Him. It's the same reason we do the tithe. And we'll get into this in a bit. But in the tithe, we um, recognize that money is not my provider, God is. And so it's this idea that man shall not be, um, live on bread alone, but every word that shall proceed from the mouth of God. It is in the desert that bread alone, income alone, their value is actually starved of importance and the true things of importance start to come to light. In Philippians 4, says, and, um, 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to His right riches and glory in Jesus Christ. It is not around what we can provide for ourselves, the essential items. It is around what God is capable of. And I'm so glad of that because if it was about me and my limitations... We're wrecked <laughs> because I'm not enough. The whole point of being the church is you don't have to be perfect to come to church. We come into church because we're imperfect. We recognize the need of the Savior. And so it's this recognition that we are not enough in and of ourselves and we need the Savior. We need the living Word of God to actually be the, the fullness of our lives and the fuel of our lives. And so I want to pause that and I actually want to pick it up many thousands of years later where I actually first heard that quote, the man shall not live by bread alone. And it's actually quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. This is important because the Bible that Jesus had is Deuteronomy. And so he is reading from his scriptures. So let's go to Jesus. So we call call of the wild. So now we're going to get on how to walk on the wild side. Matthew 3.13. I only gave the scripture to the team a little bit ago. Someone's trying to join the Wi-Fi and it's asking me to share the password. Sorry. <laughs> 
I think it was Boaz. <laughs> Matthew 3:13, Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. And so we are leading up to what it is to walk like Jesus, to walk on the wild side. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, which is a river, coming to John, his cousin, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you. John's job was to prepare the way for God, right? For Jesus. And so Jesus comes on the scene wanting to be baptized, and he's got an authority issue because he's like, I know who you are. You need to baptize me. But Jesus recognized this requirement for him to be baptized, actually to initiate the levels of righteousness required for his ministry. But Jesus answered, said to him, allow it at this time, for it is this way that needs uh, fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed Jesus to be baptized. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on Jesus. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Pause there. In preparation for the walk that Jesus had in his ministry, there was a requirement for the baptism, and then he, or for him to be baptized, him to be affirmed, and then we're going to get to this. I want to release something. A lot of us, when we're trying to be effective in our ministry, now, ministry is beyond the church ministry, the pastoral ministry, because the ministry is the ministry of the saints, and we are called to be an influence in the world. We're not here just to be happy, clappy Christians that then go, peace out, see you later. We care about the world, and so you have a ministry. You are in your workplace for the sake of being in your workplace, because that is your ministry. And you might be like, I can't speak. I don't know what I have. My, my testimony doesn't seem rich enough. But that's the same thing that Moses said to God, says, I can't, I can't speak. And Moses, he says to Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? You have a ministry in the people around you. God is calling you to influence your world. God is calling you to the, the mission of Jesus in your world. And so when you are... Um, anticipating entering or continuing this ministry, there is a question that you are, will ask yourself indefinitely. Am I enough? Am I enough? When we were first asked to be a part of the privilege of leading this youth ministry, no one knew for like two months. And Amanda and I were wrestling at home, why us? Why us? And beyond the questions from our pastors, we had to resolutely determine in our hearts that it wasn't our pastors that asked us, but it was our God's ordained path for us. And as soon as you know that it's God's path for you, God's given you permission to do what is necessary. He's also given you the spirit of authority to do what you need to do. And so there's this sense that you are chosen by God. You are a son and daughter of God. So that when Jesus came and he was baptized, God didn't say, you are my favorite servant. Now go do what is pleasing to me. He said, you are my son in whom I'm already well pleased. We do not operate from, I need to please God in order to prove myself to God. You are already pleasing God now. You are enough for Jesus. 
When he's crucified on that cross, he isn't looking like down at you saying, if only they could do this, they'd earn my sacrifice. Now he's saying, you're worth every bit. You're worth every bit. And often it's the insecurities of life that reveal themselves and try and rob us of our destiny. But it's simply we need to remind ourselves of this. I am a son or daughter of God in whom he is well pleased. Fast forward a couple of verses. We'll hit this in chapter 4. But what is that which Satan tries to tempt him away from? If you are the son of God turn these stones in the bread. He tests his identity. He tests his calling, that which was just affirmed by the Father. Good stuff. Good preaching. Yeah. <laughs> we get down to chapter four. Things change. This story is connected. I know there's a chapter division, but this is the same story. Verses four, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by who? led by Satan, led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. Isn't this interesting? Saucy. (laughs) What does Jesus do? He goes into the desert and he's tempted. This is the procedure for walking with God for him. This is just laid out in front of us. Now let's remember, where is the wilderness? What is the wilderness? is a place of opportunity testing where theory comes practice. So when he enters the wilderness, he's tempted by the desert. Verse 2, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Makes sense. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the stronghold of the city tower and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, again, test number two on the identity, throw yourself off for it is written. Now he's combating himself with the word of God. And he will give angels order concerning you. And on their hands, he will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he changed his tactic and he doesn't challenge his identity this time. He says, all these things I will give you, all this glory I will give you, all this recognition I will give you. If you bow down and worship me, then Jesus said, go away from me, Satan. Solid. If Satan's trying to tempt you, just be like, go away. You shall worship the Lord your God only and serve him. Then the devil left him because he had nothing. In fact, it says it came back in an opportune moment, which is his crucifixion where he got dominated anyway. What a win. How to walk on the wild side. We, we talked about spiritual disciplines and it may seem totally disconnected from all that we've talked about so far. So let's bring it in. In verses one of Matthew chapter four, we learned that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he gave the response. But verses two says, and he came, uh, and he had fasted for 40 days, and he was hungry. Pause there. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8, verses uh, 3. The Lord removed food from them. Bread alone will not provide your thing. He, he made them hungry, and then gave them which they did not understand, being manna. And they, the hunger caused the breakthrough of recognizing trust in God. 
I don't think I've explained this yet because you're not seeing it. <laughs> Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the place of opportunity where faith is turned into, uh, where theory is turned into practice. And he's hungry in the desert. And now Jesus is in the wilderness and he's hungry in the desert. And what does he quote back? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that shall proceed from the mouth of God. Let me present this idea. Fasting for the sake of hunger is an act where you can actually remove something of uh, security, familiarity, in order to create space for you to have a sense that God is in control, that I'm not going to rely on food alone, I'm not going to rely on bread alone, but I'm going to rely on the Word of God and the provision of God. This is what it's turning into. Spiritual disciplines are actually chosen micro-wildernesses. Doesn't sound very exciting to you right now, but these spiritual disciplines are not how you get a better Christian. Spiritual disciplines create the space. They create the environment for us to deny ourselves that which is secure, that which is bread alone, that which is on our heart, and we need to choose to trust in God. We see this in the life of Jesus. It's the denial of flesh to create space for the Spirit. Jesus continually removed himself and quote, into the wilderness in order to be in a place. And I'm going to read a couple. They're going to be listed on the screen, Luke 5, 16. But news about him, Jesus was spreading even further. And the large crowds were gathered around to hear him and be healed by the sick, of their sickness. But Jesus would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. There was this prayer, Mark 6, 30. The apostles gathered with Jesus and they reported to him all that they'd done. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place, to a wilderness and rest a while, a place of recharge and recentering. Matthew 14 verses uh, 1, now Jesus heard about John and he withdrew from there to a boat and was secluded. He just lost his cousin. He, he passed away. He was killed and he had to work through grief. So he went to the wilderness. Luke 6, 12, 13. Now it was at the time that he went off to the mountain to pray like he had done, and he spent the whole night in prayer. Then when he came down, he called his disciples and made them apostles. In the midst of making a major life decision or in the midst of life moments, he spent it in the wilderness. Luke 22, verses 39. And he came and he went as he was habits to the Mount of Olive. And we see this Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in the moments where the mission was too much, where he was feeling the pressure of it all, that he went into the wilderness and he prayed. Walking in the wild side is the call of the wild. It is a call to go deeper. It is the call to go beyond the safety of your comfort zone and into the place where God is calling you. Hillsong's got the song, Oceans. And it says, you call me out upon the waters beyond my understanding, beyond my sense of safety, and you call me beyond that to go and live in the fullness of God there. I, I gotta say, in the pursuit of God, you are called to go beyond what you are familiar with. You are called to go beyond what is safe. You are called to go beyond what is essential according to everyone else's definition. And you're called to, to lean on the Word of God. What is God saying to you?
What is God saying to you? Not what is your friend saying to you. Not what is someone out, what is someone trying to define for you. Not what else, do I, should I lift my hands or not? Is that, does that make me more spiritual? <laughs> Dan said yes. <laughs> well, if you need to do it in, in sacrifice and in the removal of things and in abandoned worship as a denial of your flesh, then yes, then yes, it will engage space for you to step into and create uh, more intimacy with the Father. Deuteronomy 8, verses 3, it says, He humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand. He fed you with that which you did not know in order to make you understand. Sort of reads a little bit like Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. And do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The point of walking on the wild side and stepping into spiritual disciplines is actually the renewal of your mind. Why we see in Romans 20, uh, 8 verses 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There's this beauty in this choosing of micro wildernesses in your life, the choosing of denying uh, your flesh with things like fasting and praying and silence and solitude in order to create space to become more like Jesus.